When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Breakpoint Recap Show, the podcast dedicated to analyzing episode by episode the Netflix docuseries Breakpoint. I am Gil Gross. I am joined by Alex Gruskin, and we are here to break down episode nine. Under pressure, we're still at the U.S. Open. We have Francis Tiafo. We have Iga Sviantek. It is a very uh, focused episode. Uh, kind of bouncing back very frequently throughout the 50-minute duration between the two. I want to start with with Tiafo Gruskin. I was just really happy that they uh, decided to follow Francis. You know, uh, you call Alexander Bublik Nick Kyrgios with, with good press, right? Or something Less press. like that? Yeah. Less press. Uh, I think Tiafo might might be, and look, he gets more press than Bublik, mind you, but I think he might be a better suitor for that nickname. But regardless, the point I'm trying to make is he has the same personality in a lot of ways when it comes to, I want to be an entertainer. I want to have fun on the court. I really don't care who I upset. You know, I'm kind of kind of going to have personality out here, uh, but he has never given anybody any reason to call his character into question, which is the thing that can't be said about Nick. Uh, so I was just really happy. I feel like Foe is someone who you should highlight if you are introducing people to tennis right now. And I was happy that they did that. Yeah, Francis Tiafo had a transcendent moment at the U.S. Open last season. It was one of those moments that captured the attention of, in particular, the American sporting fan conscience at large. And look, I thought this episode did a really good job at the beginning, breaking down the uh, the scene, where things stand currently, and the recent trajectory of American men's tennis, how American, you know, how we're desperate for an American men's star here in the United States, and how, you know, Taylor Fritz in the last episode, I think, set the scene pretty well. You can be number five in the world. Americans don't care. You're number one or nothing here in this country as it relates to receiving attention. And Francis Tiafo is someone who I think would be an exception to that rule. And it's interesting because Francis Tiafo's story is a story I think is well known across the tennis fan spectrum. I think since he was, you know, 12, 13 years old competing at Easter Bowls and having success at 15, he becomes the youngest Orange Bowl champion ever, one of the prestigious junior events on the calendar. And from there, he becomes a Kalamazoo champion, one of the biggest American junior events. And from there, right, he but the that, that's not no, no, That's not the cool part of but, it, though. But here's what it is to say, is Francis Tiafo has a real story. And I'm just, I'm very happy that there was a mainstream spotlight finally uh, shown, uh, finally put on that story. Yeah, that I agree with. Like his yeah. background is I actually was getting there, I promise. Interesting. <laughs> I know, but we're too busy 
talking about Kalamazoo, like the <laughs> fact that, you know, the fact is his family and their financial stature was never at a point that is suitable for a, a upbringing that is going to lead to professional tennis. Exactly. Like, and the fact that his father, Francis Sr., just so happened to work at uh, this this tennis facility that happened to be uh, a really great one mm -hmm. gave Francis an opportunity that most kids like him would not have. And he is, is so aware of that and uses that so well. And it's, it's such a more intriguing backstory than almost any other tennis player has. Like in fairness to a Taylor Fritz, where it's like, oh, your mom was a tennis player. Your dad was a tennis player. You're rich. You grew up in SoCal and now you're a pro. Look, it, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not me saying anything bad about Taylor, but I think he would agree. It's not as interesting as Francis's story. No, and th that's the point I was trying to make full circle here is through that story, his entire career, he has been one of the guys of his generation to look to. And that's why when he was 15, his story was told for the first time. That's why when he breaks through at the pro level, people learn about his story again. And then obviously when you have a transcendent moment beating a Rafa at the U.S. Open, you come to the mainstream sporting fans' attention. But to get back to your point in the comparison with Nick Kyrgios to unpack that. I think first and foremost, when you watch Francis Tiafo play tennis, yes, he is an extraordinary athlete, but he is an entertainer first and foremost. He is there not only to win the match, he is there to put on a show for everyone who comes and watches him. And there is just something in this sport particularly that prides itself on tradition, that prides itself on elegance. Not that what he does isn't elegant, but the improvisation, it's just different than anything else. And you got that to the max this episode. Yeah, and then and then you have Wayne Ferreira coming in. Yes. And... I, I think we talk about, you know, Francis, when they went back into his childhood, which they've done for other players, it was just way more interesting for Tiafo than it was yeah. for, for some other times. One thing we have seen is if the coach, be it Rotko and Isla Tumjanovic, right, her, her father, of course, uh, Paul Anacone in the Taylor Fritz episode at Indian Wells, when you have a coach that is bringing something interesting to the dynamic there. That's also been something that's made people hit. And what I what I love so much about this Francis Wayne thing and this relationship is I just admire Tiafo so much for going out and basically giving himself up to Wayne Ferreira because they're opposite personalities. And I think Tiafo recognized like, I'm an artist, I'm a goofball, I'm insanely talented, this is my personality. What I need in a coach is someone who is the opposite of me, who is gonna instill the qualities in me, the ones that I lack. And Ferreira is this old school guy who in a lot of ways reminds me of like an American football coach. He's from South Africa, but the guy is tough. The guy is no nonsense, and I love to see that. Well, I think he adds to the dynamic, the central core theme of this episode, and again, what has made this part two 
uh, sequence of five episodes, in my opinion, significantly better than the first part, is we have conflict in every episode. And to your point in Wayne Ferreira, he perfectly epitomizes the conflict within Francis Tiafo, which I do think is shined a spotlight in the, uh, in this episode, which is, as I alluded to, Francis the Entertainer. Francis, who just wants to put a smile on everyone's face every time he sees them, whether it be them sitting in a seat while he's playing a match, or as we see, whether he's in the locker room interacting with his peers. On one side, you have that. On the other side, you have Wayne Ferreira. You have Francis Tiafo's backstory. And as you see throughout the episode, just this inner competitor, this inner lion within Francis Tiafo, who wants to win at all costs, who in every step along the way of his life has faced some sort of adversity that he has had to fight through and how he balances those two things. I think that's the central tenet of the episode and Ferreira saying, look, you are an entertainer, but you are a professional and we have to find a way to merge those two. Yeah, man. It's like you got to get serious and you got to be able to focus Mm -hmm. because when you're playing on emotion, it's, it has its drawbacks in this sport. But not to cut you off, it's playing on emotion, but also still playing within yourself. It's not losing that background. It's not losing the character that brought you there and balancing those two things. Exactly. Uh, Still, still do your thing, but let's, let's do it in a focused manner. And remember, you know, the, the goal ultimately here is to win the match and Tiafo is still as, as entertaining as ever. Uh, Do you think that they captured that? on-court personality? I think they did. I think they showed how magnetic his personality is for the crowd. Just, again, the little sprinkle and sizzle after the winners. The emotion, the dancing, the celebration, the enthusiasm that surrounded Francis every step along the way. And look, they had the footage of him beating Rafael Nadal at a U.S. Open. You can't fake something like that and the emotions it evokes. It was special. It, this really was uh, as as good. Uh, I guess we'll get to the rankings later, but as good of an episode as you can find in in telling this story and being you know keeping you glued to the episode because you wanted to see okay where can this t- kid take things next. Yeah, I have a critique for the episode though. Please. They they cut they cut me out. They left me on the cutting board floor. <laughs> This is your shot, right? Yeah, I thought I might be in this one. Yeah, because U.S. Open Radio. Yeah, they they said, who's that handsome man? No, he's out. I know, I know. Uh, So I, first of all, it felt like last year, Tiafo was just, he was on Armstrong and Grandstand all the way through, like every match until until the fourth round against Nadal. I think I, I saw large portions of his first three rounds uh, so I was, and then I, I was at the, the Nadal match as well. Uh, so I was like very much feeling like I was on the Francis Tiafo yeah. beat at the U.S. Open last year. But after he beat Schwartzman on Armstrong, I interviewed him uh, when, as soon as he got off the court and was surrounded by the Netflix, uh, you know, cameras and uh, boom mics and stuff. And I did do the whole interview with them watching uh you know, with, with the cameras all around me. Uh, so yeah, that was my hope. I had my fingers crossed, um, but it, it didn't happen. So, you know, you, you asked for too high a fee. That's the problem is you said, yeah, you can have the interview. It's going to cost you. And yeah. you're like, all right, we're good. Exactly. They reached out and I'm like, well, I don't, I don't 
perform for free. I'm sorry. What do you think this is? Um, no, just, just, just joking for those who don't understand sarcasm. Uh, should we, I just like to think, first of all, if you're into episodes nine breakdown, you understand we employ sarcasm here on this show. So I do want to ask you as it relates to Francis Tiafo, though, before we move on to the next part of this show, you know, you mentioned that relationship between he and Wayne Ferreira. And I think the most fast, you know, you mentioned the value of exploring that dynamic between player and coach in this show. What is it that you think, you know, what made Ferreira such a valuable supplemental piece in analyzing the Tiafo story? And I'm curious what it is about him that stood out to you, because I agree. I thought he was essential to this episode. I just like that he was like, hey, so I started working with Francis and this is what I had to do to make him better. And so little coaches are actually going to come on there and, and explain it black and white. Yes. Uh, like, like, this is me. This is what Francis wasn't good at. This is what we've worked on. And, you know, that central thing, it, it was almost like it was one of the moments, and, and we've wanted this the entire show, where we actually, and look, I knew this because I, I know the Ferreira Tiafo story, but it was one of the moments where we got real tennis insight. Like, why is Tiafo better now? And Ferrero was like, well, this is why, this is what we've worked on. I'm surprised they didn't get a little bit more into the fitness thing, uh, which I thought they would because they literally opened with Francis on an exercise bike, uh, you know, sweating his ass off. Um, and, and that would be my answer to that. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. I'd also point out there was the match, I think it was the Schwartzman, where he comes off post-court, he's doing his cool down, and Ferrer goes, yeah, but you didn't serve well today. Like There are still things we can improve from this match for you to get where you want to get, and that element is so crucial. Keeping in context, yes, we're celebrating this one win, but you are still alive in this tournament. There is still more business to be done, and of course, in team sports, one game, one match, you move on to the next. That's not the case in tennis. It's one full week that's all interrelated. I just, I agree. I think Ferrer did a great job of shining a spotlight. Yeah, I'll slightly disagree with you on that, though, okay. because Ferreira, after the Nadal win, mm-hmm. reminded me, again, so much of a, like, a college football coach <laughs> after, like, week 10, yeah. all right? And, like, there's one more game left, and, like, sometimes, I don't know, you just played the big-ranked team. Like, let's say it's Michigan, and you beat Ohio State, but you have Rutgers next week, right? And and you have to win that game to make the college football playoff. You bet your Jim Harbaugh is saying, hey, great win. Guys, enjoy it for the next six hours. Get a good night's sleep. Tomorrow, it's Rutgers. We focus on Rutgers. Forget that Ohio State win. I, I know what a big deal is. You have three hours to enjoy it, and we're moving on. And that was the vibe. You know, when he said, Rafa, he said, hey, Francis, we're not done yet. We're not done yet. And I just don't know how many how many coaches actually have the uh, authoritative quality in this sport where, remember, the coaches are hired by the players, mm-hmm. uh, which is backwards. In other sports, usually the players have no say over who's coaching them. Sure. Uh, I don't know. Like, Ferreira just has this authoritative quality of just being a bit of an enforcer which was just, again, like it was really great to see that. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. The word is gravitas. That's what he has, gravitas, and he brings it to the episode. And, and you mentioned also the competitiveness uh, for Tiafo, so I want to bring this up as well. You're right. 
uh, compared to like what we got. So okay, Nadal has dominated in this yeah. in this series. Him and Djokovic have loomed over everything. Yeah, but Djokovic it was just Wimbledon. For Rafa, it was like Australian Open, and then the Roland Garros. It was there was a lot of like I can't beat Rafa in break point. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but especially at Roland Garros, we we saw that like Felix and Casper were a little bit uh, deferential to Nadal and their role as the underdog. And you have Tiafo warming up, and he was just—he just said straight up, "I'm so pumped for today. I'm coming after this mother, bro." Yeah, <laughs> and that's Francis. Yeah, it is Francis. But like, Casper, Casper, Felix, like they're just not saying that. Yeah. Well, I think that's what makes Francis so captivating. And look, let's just have the conversation. Because we've discussed this in the past on different platforms, but coming off of this episode, I do think the single most significant takeaway is if you're looking for the next star in American men's tennis, the number one profile has to belong to Francis Tiafo. Not just the entertaining tennis he plays, not just the compelling personality, not just the exceptional, extraordinary adversity he's overcome in his life, but all of that works together in totality in every match that he plays. And to your point, he's ready to fight. He's not afraid of the big stage. And it was fascinating to hear Fritz say, look, Francis has been on the wrong end of a lot of big matches for a really long time. And he should have won more than them than he has. And to see Francis have this breakthrough moment, the question I have to ask you and every fan who listens or watches this episode on your YouTube channel, isn't Francis Tiafo the guy you turn to of the current players in American men's tennis, the current group? It just feels like of all the profiles, of all the characteristics, he's the one America would hold on to and never let go. Yeah, I mean— there, there's a little bit extra to his star power, and and you saw that with uh, Bradley Beal is there, Michelle yeah. Obama is there. It, it it's a moment, you know. There there are, are more people. LeBron sent a tweet, and and we didn't get an anonymous Twitter like <laughs> so. So here's we now know they have the technology. The technology <laughs> is there to show the profile. We can do it. Yeah, well, no, they actually exceeded their rate limit, so they could only show you the one. Uh, that was the yeah. issue. But I just – you're right. There's an extra gear to Francis, yeah. and that's what, she, that's what it keeps coming down to. Is that extra gear was central to this episode. Ultimately, you know, to answer your original question, like who's the, you know, the star, uh, it's, it does come down to who wins. Like if Corda sure. starts winning majors, it'll be him, right? Yeah. But I, I agree with you. At face value, just – you know, personality and I guess kind of natural main character energy. Yeah. Tiafo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, now we've, we've kind of put it off a little bit. I can't really be as positive about the Igish Fiantech side of this. It's not Iga's fault, but as we've started to get to know the show more and more, we've seen what their strengths are. We've seen what their weaknesses are. And I don't know that they did the best job of making Iga interesting. And I do think she can be interesting. Uh, do, you, do you agree with me or no? I do not. I thought the Iga part was 
maybe more fascinating to me than the Tiafo part because the Tiafo story, as I alluded to earlier, has been told. Iga is the biggest question mark maybe we have in tennis, and I thought Maria Sharapova early in the episode framed it perfectly in discussing we see these athletes. We see the success. They seem to have every aspect of their life put together, and she talked about Iga, who is machine-like and just going about her business and ruthlessly last year assassinating every opponent that she faced on the other side of the net. 37 wins, according to Courtney Nguyen, longest win streak of the century, speaks for itself. But through all of that success, Maria Sharapova asks at the start of the episode, does or do these top athletes, do they really have everything together? Are they really enjoying their lives off the court? And I think this is as close as we've gotten as into, as, uh, into a look into the enigma that is Iga Sviantek. And before I let you respond where you disagree, I think the quote that epitomized Iga most, and I'm not sure what coach it came from, but they were very clear. We don't come to these tournaments as tourists. We're here to win the event. And if you were to give me one quote that Iga should probably pin on her Twitter profile, it's like, not a tourist. That would be <laughs> the quote because that's what she does. She shows up to events, she wins, and if you're wondering how she does it, this episode shows you. They had the Lego set. You're bringing out the Legos, you're locked. They had the Lego set? Iga's doing the Legos during the episode oh. early on when she's putting together, yeah. I think was a pretty good, I'm not, I don't want to impose and say it was a Star Wars replica, but it was in the family. Yeah. Y yeah, so I don't disagree with any of those things, and I think they, but but I guess my my biggest qualm was they they touched on a lot of things. They touched on a lot of aspects of her personality, and they just, I, I just thought they, they're, it was always kind of, they didn't lean fully into anything in particular. So, what you know, do you mean by that? Meaning, I guess, like, okay, I think her humility, her her shyness was kind of a theme in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. She doesn't like New York City. Yeah. She, you know, I thought one, you know, interesting one was she wasn't she wasn't trying to look up at the screen. Uh, and then she saw one of her favorite actors from Friends and got distracted. That was wild. Like that was wild to hear, right? The fragility, the fact that that could affect a major final that you look up and you see one of your favorite actors. Uh, and it's like, oh, she doesn't like that. And that's, that's as objectively as a world number one superstar who is kicking everyone's butt on the tour. The fact that like she is not your natural kind of I want attention personality is interesting. I guess it just didn't go deep enough into that for me to feel like it was compelling. Okay, I think that's fair. Uh, that, that last framing in particular that you would have liked to see even further behind the scenes or why these are the particular things she does to get her mind right. But I think it comes back to one of the central themes of this episode is the internal conflict all of these players face in maintaining the veneer of professionalism and doing the things you're supposed to do to be a pro versus staying true to yourself and how well you manage to balance those two things so frequently with the talent being so level across the board. 
determines the outcome. And you see the way it took Francis, you know, a much different pathway to manage things versus Iga, who, dare I say, has been on that straight arrow path from the start, was a junior champion, <laughs> immediately experiences success in the pros, and is just so laser-focused on executing the little details right that maybe the 30,000-foot view of what Iga Sviantek wants to do in life it's still a little cloudy, and that long-term picture has been sacrificed for the short-term commitment. But I kind of love that they're showing that, that you're like, look, you kind of have to be, and I, weird is the wrong word, but you have to be insular. You have to be self-centered. You have to be focused in this game. And how that manifests itself in different personality quirks of these players, that's your show. And I thought Ego was another example of that. I think Iga is a crazy perfectionist yes. who expects yes. who expects an unbelievable level out of yes. out of herself in all aspects of life. Yes. Uh and and that's also interesting. And by the way, what you just came up with was was sick. Like that was great. Yeah. Uh I but they didn't do that, right? So <laughs> Tiafo <laughs> Tiafo <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cut that clip. You know what? Unlike Gil's interview with Francis, I'm giving you the rights break point. You can have it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Tiafo uh, got onto the professional tour and was like, hey, uh, this is sweet. <laughs> I'm, I'm loving life. This is awesome. And he got super, super, and I'm using his own words. He got complacent. He was like, I'm 40 in the world. Life is good. Cool. And that was Francis for a lot of years until he something clicked where he's like, hey, I want to be much better than this and I can be much better than this. He hires Wayne Ferreira. Wayne Ferreira whips him into shape and, and they start doing great things. You're right. Iga's the complete opposite. It was always like, wait, I, I lost a match. That's unacceptable. There's no losing matches. That's, that's terrible. Uh, so yeah, or they, like when she's doing the ceiling warm up with the ball and she hits the ceiling with the ball and she's like, this is a bad design. Like they should have designed <laughs> it higher. Like, obviously I can throw it that high. Like yeah. it's the most ego, which is why she's subtly hilarious because she's just so honest. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. Um, they, they could have made that con contrast between like their paths. They didn't do that, which is fine. Sure. Um, I, well, I still they tried the to do it implicitly, but they should have done it explicitly yeah. and had well, a Sharapova or whomever. Yeah, they kind of yeah. skipped ahead with Tiafo. They exactly. didn't. They didn't. They yes. didn't. His early career was yes. not covered. You yes. can't cover everything, so I'm not. Sure. I'm not critiquing that aspect of it. And let me just say, if I were in control of this same exact situation, Iga Sviantek, because I'm not just gonna like levy criticism and not not give a suggestion, mm -hmm. I would have focused on how focused she is and you know if they could have gotten in her hotel room and it's like here's how you're spending your nights mm -hmm. uh when or here's how you're spending your days when you don't have a match and this is what you're this is how you're going about your business this is your fitness this is your diet i think what's so amazing about Iga is like she leaves no stone no stone unturned and if they kind of went backstage with her, went behind the scenes with her, I think that would have painted a really cool picture. I just don't think there was enough there for for that to actually come across, which is like how dedicated and focused she is. So this is what we do in the writing room then is I think they did do that. I agree with you. And they're like, do we really want to show this? 
do like a time lapse of like, wow, she's really just reading a book. And then she gets <laughs> up and then she goes and does the Lego set. And then she gets up and it's back to the book. And like that is her version of this is how I stay calm. This is how I stay focused. I'm not going to see the bright lights of New York. I'm keeping my ears under the pool water so that I can't hear all the sirens in the background. One blocks out the noise in Igor Sviantek. The other experiences that uh, brings the noise really in Francis Tiafo. And you're right. Again, it was. I, I think that's why they they pair. I think these two were a much more natural pairing as co co protagonists of the episode, for lack of a better term, than maybe some of the ones we've had in the past, where it was just like, well, they both did well at this tournament, so we're throwing them together here. But you're right, there there definitely could have been more implicit, especially in emphasizing the differences in how they approach things. Like, you know, again, Jordi Arcanada is shirtless in the van dancing after Tiafo beats Rafael Nadal. They ain't ever dancing shirtless for Team Sviantec. And if they are, how are you not showing us that? Because that would have been the clip of clips. But again, compelling television. I don't think they're dancing sure. I don't think I don't think yeah. that's happening. Tomas uh Witterowski, I don't think that's in the cards for him. The trainer uh, though, maybe the other guy, the ball thrower, he could boogie. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yep. He might be able to throw down a little bit. Yeah. Uh okay, I think this was a great discussion on Tiafo and, and Ego. We didn't get into like tiny details, but mm-hmm. uh I, I think it was better for it. Uh let's talk winner of the episode. Ooh, I mean, okay. This is a crazy take. Are we sure it's not Carlos Alcaraz as the winner of the episode who kind of just like lingers in the background? And, you know, again, they don't talk about him a ton, but the three minutes he gets on screen, everyone's like, yeah, this kid's the future. Like, this kid is just something else. And again, I know that's something they're hoping to explore in the future, but. There was, you know, listening to all the, listen to Francis talk about going up against Alcaraz. I want, as a tennis fan, of course, it was nerddom, but man, I just wanted more Alcaraz because we got a little sneak peek of him in this episode. And just like the, the highlights they showed in that match was about as good of the tennis as we've gotten in nine episodes thus far. I think he's the winner because he's the one who I come out of this saying, I want more of you. Yeah, I, I would say you're right. They didn't spend that much time or that much energy introducing Alcaraz in depth. Uh, but you know what? Like, if you don't have, I'm I'm glad. Maybe I'm glad they didn't. Like, if you can't do it right, just kind of put it off. I think what you got from Alcaraz was the electric, absolutely electric tennis, and you kind of got the just this kind of young kid yeah. who's smiling a lot and just brings a very positive energy. Uh, but, but not much more beyond that. Uh, so yeah, that that's fine. Okay. Good choice. Can I, can I just go over, uh, something that I noticed that was making me laugh? You have notes on the win. This is, this is a brown, 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 breaking ground breaking. That's how you speaking. It's not a win. It's not a winner. It's a sim- I'm still in. Here is my sympathetic character of the episode. Okay. okay. Announcer, commentator, Robbie Koenig. Okay. Okay. Because they, you know, edit commentary. We talked about this in the last episode. They rely on the commentators to provide a lot of insight. 
about the players, you know, setting up the match, what's happening in the match. Like it's really just their snippets that are doing most of the legwork, uh, combined with sometimes the players actually talking, you know, themselves about, about what they were experiencing. Uh, but there were a couple of moments here where I thought, I thought they did, they did Robbie Koenig dirty. And I just want to come out here and defend him. Great commentator. Uh, first of all, <laughs> uh, Francis hits an ace on the first point of the match. And he goes, this is big time tennis. <laughs> and I can assure you that is not what he said after Alcaraz, <laughs> after Tiafo hit an ace on the first point of the match. I can guarantee you they took that from another part of the match mm -hmm. and put it there because it did not fit. And, and I know he didn't say that there. Now, I have another example, but I'll let you respond to that. No, one. I was going to say, I don't even think it was from the Tiafo match. They probably just pulled that from a <laughs> random round one. They're like, we want this clip here. Use it. Um, right. Yeah, or they showed the first point, and I think it was Tiafo serving, and then they get to in a different match, and they're like, break point Tiafo. I was like, but... I was like, but he just served. I was like, He's, I was like, can we try this again? So I think it's a fair comment. What's example two? Example two is Nadal hits a forehand inside in. You can make no mistake about it. It's an inside in forehand. There's no room for interpretation here. And Koenig goes, He's starting to leather that forehand down the line. <laughs> and it's like, oh, he definitely didn't say that there. <laughs> I'm glad you noticed those things because those are the two most Gill observations. Can I give you one like that that I think was to stir the pot for ten? You know how, what's it called, Easter eggs that they put in the Marvel movies or whatever it is that you can find the Easter eggs? I think there was a little Easter egg for tennis fans early in the episode. It's a transition of days from a nighttime session to the next day starting at the U.S. Open. I think it's going into the final on that women's uh, final Saturday. And what's the clip they show being played on the U.S. Open courts in the morning? They show people playing pickleball on the U.S. Open courts, Gil. I think that was a little Easter egg for tennis fans just to stir the pot a little bit. Wow. I didn't yeah. notice that. Yeah, um you're That's noticing, good. yeah, because you're like, he didn't leather the forehand. He's like, because you, you're too busy going, it was inside in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a, a quote of the episode? You you mentioned a quote mm -hmm. earlier in the show that, like, I absolutely adored. I was like, oh, that was so good. Sharapova in the Do They yeah. Really? Yeah, I thought. That was, that was yeah. like, unbelievable. I, I feel like after watching this, if I'm, if I'm an agent at mm – -hmm. Uh, CAA, and I'm just like, who am I interested in getting to Hollywood? Uh, I feel like Maria would have my attention with her delivery on some of these lines. Yeah, and then that agent would call Maria, and Maria would say, well, you know, I got that same call when I was 14 and had my first pro success, and I've been an IMG client ever since. <laughs> and so I agree with you. Um, yeah, she could do it. Let me tell you this. Maria Sharapova not being present in the box for commentary is not because ESPN doesn't want her there. Um, it's because she's like, nah, go go look up my net worth on Google and then add another zero because that's what it really is. Fair enough. She has sugar it pova. Like, she made a failed candy <laughs> and she's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, she might have lost some money on that, yeah. um, on that one. Okay, is that your line of the uh, – just to – to pay it off, she goes, she basically says like, and I, I didn't write it down verbatim, but it's like, 
you know, these, these world-class athletes, these world number ones, they look like they have everything all together. Yeah. But do they? Yeah, I, it, was, <laughs> it was really good. I was like, huh. You're it's right. Like, I wanted her to be like, because let me tell you the shit I was going through. And then she yeah. just goes through three of her stories. And I just, I really want to know the producer who was like, hey, Maria, do you mind talking about Serena real quick? Because, like, we're going to ask you what it's like to lose to Serena because no one knows about that more than you. Um, and she's been excellent. I thought Anna Cone did really well this episode. It's interesting. You know, I would have liked to see more Andy Roddick in discussing the American men's tennis I don't need more American men's tennis. Yeah. They did so, it. so that's they what I was going to say. Is it, is it oversaturated? Have they yes. hit that enough? Okay. They, they, Fair. They, they hit it. They hit it. They were just like, look, it's it's been rough. There's a lot of pressure on these guys. Even though there was, there's there's less pressure on these guys. There was more pressure pressure on Fish and Isner and Blake. They, they were the guys where where people were just like, whoa, you're only eight in the world. What the, you know? That was like, (laughs) that was the generation that had it rough. These guys have it just a little bit easier. Ellis for love. Um, Exactly. um, I think that's fair. I mean, my only question for you, and I mentioned this with the Alcaraz part, because there is going to be a season two. And I'm curious if you come out of this, it sounds like, do you want more Iga? Like you mentioned, she can be captivating. Do you think there's still more of that story to tell? Yeah, yeah, but but only if they can – it, look, it's not it's not easy, which is fine. But you you have to do it well, and you have to figure out a way to like okay. paint this picture of what's interesting about Iga Swiatek, which is not as easy as painting the picture of what's interesting about Dennis Rodman. It's just it's just harder. My last clip, and then feel free to wrap the show however you'd like. I would do this exact same thing, and maybe this is why I'm such a fan of Iga is because I like to think I'm refreshingly honest, but that honesty, sometimes people are like, dude, did you really just say that? You're a little weird. And I'm like, yeah, I know. It's nothing new. I would have so quickly, much like Iga Svantec did, when I sat down for my first interview, I'd be like, yo, where's the director thing? Like, I got to call action. And I would have done like the exact same thing where I'd pick it up and be like, no, no, we can't start yet. I got to click it and be like, okay, now we can go. And I just think those are the sort of little details where you're like, that's the most eager thing I've ever seen. And those are in what is sometimes not the most charismatic uh, player, those are the little intimate, honest moments where you're like, yeah, but that's adorable. And so those are the uh, the refreshing moments that I thought made this episode such a delight. Yeah, I, she has a personality. Uh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. It's just not the personality that uh, I guess people, it's not an in-your-face personality, and it's not the kind of personality that leads people to be like, wow, what a personality. She uh, criticized the ceiling design. Like, yeah, come it's, on. It's there. It's yeah. there. And it's, I think it's, I truly think it's there with everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically everyone. There's, there's nobody who's boring. It's up to us storytellers to, to unlock those, you know, what, what makes everybody tick. Uh, speaking of which, I saw the episode 10 look ahead and uh, I'm very, very intrigued Ooh. at the arena Sabalenka thing. No, no, no. I don't think we're. It's not time to talk about it. No, right? no, no. no. But it's a quote 10. from this episode, and that okay. is the quote. When Arena goes, because it's great foreshadowing too. She's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna beat Iga. Like, I know this is who I have to beat." And I almost wanted to say, "Stop right there." That is a quote. Can we make an episode around this quote? 
I want to see it the rest of the time. Because if you watch 2023 tennis, you know that rivalry has become a central rivalry here this season to everything that happens. And it's just like a little sprinkling of like, stay tuned for season two. Yeah, uh, it was, it was, I noticed that she said that too, very confidently, yeah. uh, which does speak volumes. But uh, for the next one, we're going to get her at the WTA finals in Fort Worth where I mean, things things were not going swimmingly and continued to not go swimmingly for her um, in, in general. I mean, it was, it was a tough year, and I'm just excited because it, it, it seems like it was an interesting time for her emotionally. And I think it's going to be uh, it'll be insightful to watch that. That's episode 10. Uh, this has been episode nine under pressure for Alex Gruskin. I'm Gil Gross. This has been the Breakpoint Show available on the Cracked Rackets network of podcasts and the Gil Gross YouTube channel.